0: Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then, redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers
1: Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. My marathoning
0: is a not yet. What fresh hell. (laughs) Laughing in the face of motherhood. I don't deal with people who talk to me like I'm an idiot. With Margaret Apples and Amy Wilson. I was unclear on my assignment. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I am a weirdo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy.
1: And today, we're talking about raising kids who don't fit the mold.
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) I was a kid who didn't fit the mold. And I'm raising some kids who don't fit the mold. And so I'm ready to talk this out, Amy. First, I'd like to start with a mailbag, though, because we have a good mailbag this week. Mailbag. No one, not one of our listeners has come through with a mailbag theme song for us. I'm holding out hope. It's going to happen any day now.
1: Sylvia wrote in to say, "Longtime listener here. This is just a note to say that I used to not understand what Margaret meant by the yelling flu. Then my child turned three.
0: Now I know yours <laughs> in sore throat in solidarity." Sylvia. Sylvia, you can't see me, but I am making the Hunger Games salute to you right now. And the yelling flu. Is a term that I coined at a certain point, which is the feeling where you're like trying to go to bed and you're like, I think I'm sick. Something's wrong. My throat is scratchy. I have a (laughs) piercing headache. And then you realize, oh no, it's from yelling at the kids so much that I've injured my throat and given myself a horrible headache. That's the yelling flu. And I am a sufferer. And I will say this is a little bit frozen in amber. Like, Before the kids can talk and run and do other things, you don't really get the yelling flu because you're just like, oh, maybe that's your voice all day. Right. Then they turn about three and you start screaming all day, every day. And then I feel like now my kids are 8, 10 and 12 and I don't suffer anymore from the yelling flu. Then you have three teenagers and they yell at you. They get the yelling flu. Yeah. You are a
1: receiver. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yesterday, I was getting like in stereo, two kids yelling at me. One kid was missing something like, where's my shirt? And I had to go into the other kid's room.
0: And then the other kid was like, what are you doing in my room? I was getting yelled at <laughs> By two people at once. You have the yelling receivers flu. Yes. Yeah. My new favorite phrase in my house is I don't deal with people who talk to me like I'm an idiot. I say it maybe 650 times a day. I'm going to try that copy paste. I don't talk to people who speak to me like I'm an idiot. Yeah. And I tell you, it works because they usually speak to you like an idiot when they really need something. Yes. Because sometimes like this advice is like, well, like, thanks a lot because they'll just keep yelling at me. But when you do this, when because they're usually saying, where are my soccer cleans? I need my (laughs) laptop cord. And so I just take a beat and I'm like, you know, I can find it but I'm not going to help you until you speak to me like I'm a human being. It works. And often it's like, fine, where is my laptop cord, mom? Like, I mean, it's not like they're like, you're right, mother. What a mistake I've made in addressing you in this way. But at least it brings it down to like, okay, fine, could you help me find the laptop? I mean, they're still like rolling their eyes and despising you with every fiber of their being, but at least they're (laughs) not targeting me like I'm an idiot. It's a start. It's a
1: start. But that's what happens when you raise kids who don't fit the mold.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think kids who scream at you do fit the mold, that's every kid. Do fit the mold, that's right, right. You're right, what am I saying? That's extremely normal behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much strike over the plate, I would say. But kids who don't fit the mold, we were talking about, you know, what to talk about on today's episode. And we were kind of going back and forth of like, should we do something on like highly sensitive kids? Should we do something on other topics? And I said, I like the kind of, because I feel like on the Facebook page, we've gotten some feedback of like, but what about my kid, you know, who is maybe outside of some of the broader advice that we talk about. And so I like this idea of like, kids that don't fit the mold. It's wide. Yeah. It's everything from like, you know, it's everything.
1: Yeah. We had Debbie Reber on a couple of weeks ago to talk about differently wired kids, which is what she calls any kid, you know, maybe who's like non-neurotypical, but this is even wider than that, right? Like this is like, why is my kid the only kid lying down on second base instead of playing Little League, right? Why is my kid the only kid who goes to the playground and plays by herself. Why is my kid the only kid who is a little bit too loud and can't keep his hands to himself? Like these, it's all those things.
0: Yeah. And this is something I want to lean in on a little bit that I feel like I have a little bit of a pet peeve around this sometimes about... People, I feel like everyone wants a weird kid, you know, an a, a unique kid, and that your kid who's like four and really into the Rolling Stones is different, doesn't fit the mold in the same way of a kid whose differences and non-mould fittingness make your existence more difficult. Or the kid's existence more difficult and therefore your existence more
1: difficult because that's what I think is happening here, right? That's right. The kid who doesn't fit the mold causes you pain and stress for reasons that we can explore, but it's like you're projecting out into the future and what will happen to this kid that doesn't understand that he's too loud all the time or whatever, that you project things onto that and makes it difficult for you.
0: Right. And there is a spectrum of this. And I want to say to the moms who are on the end of the spectrum of like your kid who doesn't fit the mold and therefore doesn't get invited to any birthday parties for two years and has no kids come to his for two years is different than like, my kid doesn't fit the mold. He really loves old nineties rap or whatever, you know, like yeah. There's a spectrum of this and I think sometimes we have to acknowledge that like being a you know odd kid or a kid a quirky kid is different than not fitting the mold in a way that makes life more challenging. Look at
1: my tween's goth outfit, like the kind of thing that you're kind of like trolling for likes on Facebook in a presentational way. Yes. That's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about
0: why is life gonna be hard. Yeah. And like it may come under the umbrella of this, but like I acknowledge that there is a difference between those two things, which is like my kid is so different. Facebook fam versus like, oh, it can be really hard having a kid who doesn't fit the mold, because as much as you want a unique kid. I mean, it's funny. I was the kind of college kid who was like always like, you know, in bars talking philosophy with friends like I was extremely deep, Amy. But I guess every college kid maybe is that college kid. But, you know, I just remember all those conversations that were like, oh, what I want is a life lived at extremes. Like, I want everything to happen. You know, those kind of, oh, let's think of life in this way that like... We want to have this very exciting life. And the minute I had kids, I was like, I want my life to be as normal as possible. <laughs> Hugh to the center. <laughs> Everyone. I want it's like the proverb that people say, like, may you live in interesting times? No, thank you. May I live the most uninteresting life ever when it comes to being me with kids like I want. And we talked about this with Debbie Reber that some of the problem is letting go of like, I want everything to be fine. Right. That's how I want it to be. I don't want to live on any extremes. I want my kids to be completely fine and normal and happy. And sometimes that leads to like, I'm going to shove my non-mold kid into a box that doesn't fit them. And that is a place where I recognize that I have some problems. And sometimes the box is a place your kid needs to be, perhaps,
1: and they still don't fit right? Like second grade or whatever. Like there are, yes. you can say, uh, my kid's not a T-ball kid, right? Or I guess, you know, the French horn isn't for us. It's different from when like friendships are hard. And then, and sometimes that box can exist too. I also think that we can sometimes romanticize a little bit when we're in this situation. It's a coping mechanism. I think that sometimes works the whole, like the mold is the problem, right? Yes. But the world doesn't get my kid fix it world right yes albert einstein's teacher said he was incorrigible like yeah that's true and that is helpful when you have a kid that doesn't fit the mold that like the world is wider than second grade and so it's going to be okay the non-mold fitting kid will find their way but we can also kind of overly romanticize i think like you don't get my kid get out of the way because my kid is different
0: I hear you. I absolutely hear you. And I think that, you know, we're going to swing back and forth between these two ideas the whole time. Like, when is it our job to try to be like, kid, we're going to figure out this box and get inside of it. And when is it our job to be like, world, take a seat. It's not happening with my kid in this box. And I think that that's the journey of having a kid who doesn't fit the mold is figuring out what are the right moments for that, you know, because... This is a big part of our jobs, no matter what kind of kids we have that like we are adapting our kids into society. You know, I mean, that's a big part of it. You can't take a kid to a restaurant who's running around and grabbing food off of other people's plates. So, like, it's part of your job when you have a two and a three year old to say you have to sit here or maybe we're not going to a restaurant, which is my suggestion. Right. But. Yes, like socializing our children is part of our job. But when we have kids who are outside of the norm in whatever way, that can be challenging. I'm going to give a shout out, as I've done before, to this amazing book called Far From the Tree. Oh, yes. Andrew Solomon. Oh, I just this book changed my life. It's so beautifully done. It gave me such an interesting perspective. I'll put the link in the show notes, guys. Maybe... 700 pages long. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's a commitment. It's a summer's commitment. (laughs) But it's also the kind of book that, like, it's in um, chapters, truly. And the idea is the expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so the thesis of this book is examining families where the apple has fallen far from the tree. What is he? Now I can't think of it, but he's like vertical connection, which is, you know, your kid looks like you, they act like you, they remind you of you when you were a kid. And then that there's this horizontal line where kids who have any kind of otherness from their family, such as in the book transgender, transgender, even gay, I think LBGTQ, you know, in other words, when your kid is trans LGBTQ and all that, and you're not right. So that you have this, they have a horizontal world that you overlap with. But like, there is an outside piece that you are outside of you are not what they are. Yeah. And what's great about it is like, this book is so insightful for just Every kid has this. Every kid has a lot of things that are outside of what we are. But it really hits on this idea of kids who don't fit the mold. I loved it. There are also other kinds of molds as I was sort of researching what people are
1: saying about this topic for this episode. I came on stuff like a Mormon mom whose son won't cut his hair. And it's like his hair is, you know, long, maybe not long for the world, but long for the LDS world and dealing with... People always telling this kid that he needs to cut his hair and he actually has long hair because his ears are too big and like he doesn't fit the mold in that specific way in that culture. Or I found a fascinating video, I'll put the link in the show notes, of Asian-American kids talking about what it's like to be an Asian-American kid who's not particularly interested in STEM who's maybe not at the top of their class, who is good at sports, you know, and playing against the mold that the world has for kids who look like them. Uh, made me realize, because I was thinking there are very general molds, like can you sit still in class or not, that are kind of applied to all of us. And then there are these sort of smaller cultural molds that our kids may or may not fit into.
0: Yeah. And within the familial mold, Amy, I feel we have reached a musical theater reference point here. Oh, boy. Exciting. Yes. Of course, it is the musical I was in in high school, Fiddler on the Roof. This is the plot of the whole musical, right? He has three daughters and he's like, this is how we live. These are our traditions. Tradition. We do not fall far from the tree in this village. Right. Like we and that each daughter challenges those traditions. And each time he bends and then the third daughter, he's like, I can't bend this far. Everything I know breaks if I go this far. And that story and that idea of like, what molds do we say? Like, no, this mold must stand. Interesting. Yeah. It makes me wonder as we approach this
1: topic, you know, whether the biggest problem with our kid not fitting the mold isn't the parental reaction to it, right? The pain, the hurt, the misunderstanding, the gap between how you thought things would be and the way things are. I have a psychologist's approach to that. Can we talk about that when we come back? Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th Okay, Dr. Perry Class, she's the author of the book, Quirky Kids, Understanding and Helping Your Child Who Doesn't Fit In. I'll put the link to that book in the show notes, too. She talks about in this book something that's called the pivotal moment, and it's a pivotal moment for the parent of a quirky kid, her term for a kid who doesn't fit the mold. She says, the pivotal moment is not just one moment of extreme behavior in your kid, but it's the last in a series of impossible to explain away behavior that resonates with the parents long considered and long avoided fears. It crystallizes in a parent's mind all the floating anxieties and worries of many months. Hmm. That moment that you're like, yes, there's something up here. My kid does not fit the mold and I can't sort of pretend that that's not true any longer. I get it. Yeah, I've been there, right? I've had that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's about facing reality. This is about what we were talking about with Debbie Reber a little bit, which is there's a difference. I think we're a little bit like wide on our topic here. There's a difference between like, I expect my child to follow my religion to a T. That's not going to happen, guys. They're going to go outside of it. And... I am concerned that my child is not neurotypical and like the signs of that are freaking me out there are different things. That's true. One is your work to do, I think, a little bit. And like, listen, you can set out a path for your kids and keep them on it to a certain degree and allow them to wander and let them come back to it. But maybe you have to let go of like, I wanted my kid to be the star athlete and he turns out to be really into, you know, watercolor painting. That's kind of dismissible to me. But this thing that you're saying is like, I wanted and maybe it is the same thing. It's that creeping dread of like you throw the football at him 400 times and the day where like it hits him in the face and he starts crying and goes in to do watercolor is this pivotal moment where you're like, oh, this is never going to happen. Oh, right. Right. And it's the gap. Like she argues in the book, the gap
1: is the issue, right? That your kid is highly sensitive and like hates tags and clothing and doesn't like to be touched or whatever. Like that's fine. But it's the ways that that comes out, the challenges that come out when the world has different expectations, that's the problem. You see what I'm saying? It's like, it's,
0: well, yes, but it's also like you said, it's not just that the world has expectations. Like when you have a kid, you can't take anywhere because they cry the whole time. Right. That's not just like, oh, well, if only the world would relax. It's an actual problem, right? My sister-in-law, Christina, who was recently on the podcast, she said to me when I was dealing with this issue in my own life. She said to me the thing, this advice just nailed it for me, and I still think about it with all my kids. I was talking about a kid who was dealing with a specific kind of issue and possibly facing a diagnosis, and I was freaking out about it. And she said, it's not a problem until it's a problem for you. It's never a problem because it's someone else's problem. Mm. So if you're like, I'm embarrassed that my mom thinks that my kid is too whiny, that's not your kid's problem. But my kid cannot participate in any activities because he is too sensitive and spends the whole time crying. That is your problem. That is something you may have to address. You may not be able to fix it, but it's not a problem until it's a problem for you or for your kid
1: and even more so for your kid. It's the pivotal moment, right? When you realize like, oh, maybe my wishing this isn't something that separates them from the main or that that isn't enough. Correct. I have an approach. Dana Basu, she's a psychologist. She talks about how to approach this when your kid is, doesn't fit the mold. and was sort of a two-part approach, and the first part reminds me of something you have said many times. She says, the first thing you have to do when you have a kid that doesn't fit the mold is pinpoint what that means. Like, they yell a lot when we go places. Like, okay, why? Mm-hmm. For some parents, this is very easy. My child has a diagnosis. They're on the spectrum. But if you don't yet know why your child is different, she says... See if you can isolate when this difference shows up, how it manifests, identify what separates your kid from others. Yep. And I think it's generally a thing that we spend a lot of time running from first as parents because of the feelings it arouses in us. Right. But this is the part that reminds me of you. You've talked about having these dreams
0: that a monster was chasing you. Yes. And you got rid of the dream. I'll let you tell the story. Well, just that when I was even from childhood, but I still do this. When I'm dreaming that I'm being chased by a monster, often I'll have a moment of consciousness kind of where I'm like, oh, it's a dream. And then I turn around and the second I turn around to look at the monster, I wake up. Like, it's just Hmm. facing the thing makes it not real anymore. And man, if that isn't the biggest truism of my whole life, things get exponentially larger when you try to not think about them or bury them. And I give this advice to my kids all the time. I had a kid who was absolutely terrified of Momo. Do you remember Momo? (laughs) Oh, yes. The chicken lady (laughs) thing that was supposed to attack you on YouTube.
1: Yeah. And we were all supposed to be worried about that. It was going to get our kids on YouTube. I don't know, like in poltergeists, like sucking them in the TV. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it was a whole thing. I was unclear on my assignment. (laughs) Yeah, it was a problem. Momo. But I had a kid who was terrified of Momo. And every night at bed, it was, oh, my God, Momo, Momo, Momo. And I was like, you know what? We're going to pull out the computer in the daytime, like not right before bed, but like during the day. And we're going to look at Momo together and really stare this momo thing down and he was like i don't think i can and i was like let's do it and we pulled up a picture of momo and he was freaking out and then we were kind of starting laughing about like oh it's part chicken i didn't really realize (laughs) that and like it's a terrifying thing momo and then at bedtime i often say and i have one kid who's like that doesn't work for me at home mom that's horrible advice but i often say to this kid who was scared of momo like if you're scared of momo at night think more about momo don't try to not think about Momo. Picture it. Think to yourself, like, what's scary about this to me? And then break it down. And then because you're 10 times scarier of Momo, because you're like, I'm going to think about Momo. Right. And then when you think about Momo, eh? I mean, it's a chicken lady. Okay. Right. I get it. Right. So get really curious about it, right? Like, look more closely, really try
1: to pinpoint what's going on. Because... (sighs) You know, it might lead you to tests and occupational therapy and stuff, or it might just lead you to being able to find other people who have kids like this, which is part two of what Dr. Dana Bazu suggests. The first one is pinpoint at what makes your child different. Get really clear about exactly what it is and then find others who can relate to your experience. It's incredibly lonely. When you think my kid is this outlier in this way and my kid is not going to be invited to birthday parties and therefore, you know, X, Y, Z, lonely life. Right. And then that's very isolating for you as a parent. But
0: once you get very clear about what's going on, then you can find your community. Yeah, that's my mom's most useful phrase, catastrophizing, Mm -hmm. that like you sit there and you're like, but if this, but if this, and the fact is nothing about your child changes. None of this changes anything about your actual reality. Nothing can change that. That's a good point. It doesn't. If somebody says like your child has autism, your child has ODD, your child has whatever the diagnosis happens to be, nothing about your kid changes, right? You're just understanding it more. You're just looking and staring at it and being curious about it. And the fear is that sometimes I think that like, well, if I hear a word associated with my child that I think of as negative, that child gets like sucked away from me. Nothing about your kid changes. In a way, the diagnosis is
1: the beginning of the good part, right? Because once you understand when you get a a diagnosis from your kid, like the wondering stops and the helping starts, you can get more direct about it and get yourself more support. If you as a parent of a kid who doesn't fit the mold, feel like you can't talk to anybody about this, that there's shame, there's fear. Once you get rid of that stuff, you're going to find somebody else whose kid has a auditory processing disorder or whatever. Like these things are controllable once you understand what you're dealing with.
0: And you're also, we're talking about diagnoses. I have long had a dream that my daughter will play the French horn because we have French horn players in the family. Oh my God, I said French horn before, but was I like picking up on that? This is real. You must have. You don't
1: fit in the box because you're psychic. (laughs) But you really have a French horn hope for your daughter.
0: I don't know why. My niece is a beautiful French horn player, plays in symphonies at her college and school. And I love the sound of the French horn. I think it's such a beautiful physical instrument. And so I've long been like, You're going to play the French horn. And of course, now my daughter is about to take up an instrument, third, fourth grade. And she's like, no, I don't want to play the French horn. And she wants to play something goofy. I can't remember what it is. I don't know. Anyway, something I'm not into. That's this too, like your mold is the part. Like I have to sit down and be like, what is the level of importance of this in my life? Listen, it's a lot easier to let go of the French horn than the dream that your kid is ever going to walk. Right. I get it. They're not the same choice. And I'm not saying they are. They're not the same. But... I don't want us to only be like, this is about getting a non-neurotypical diagnosis for a kid. This is about like, I mean, the Project Runway for me is the ultimate version of this. You see all these incredible artists making these beautiful gowns, like something that point oh 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 one percent of people in the world can do, which is like, here's my idea, like make a floral theme. And they make a beautiful outfit. And almost always as they talk and you meet their families at some point in the show, there's always two or three people whose family probably because they were gay, kind of rejected them, you know, or doesn't speak to them anymore. And I just think, like, you were so busy focused on goal A that you miss the fact that you have the rarest treasure in your house. And that's to me, like, that's the key of this mold thing. And I don't dismiss that, like, an incredible talent is different than something that you find to be a more challenging, like a physical difference of whatever. But parent the kid you have, as Amy always says. I mean, don't miss the treasure for wishing you were on a different island.
1: Right. What aren't different in either of those cases is the work that you have to do. Right. Dawn Davenport, another psychologist. She says our fears as parents when our kids don't fit the mold are based on what our kids are like right now, projecting into the future. Mm, catastrophizing, yeah. We are catastrophizing about 2032, the year 2032. I mean, about like right now. But if they can't sit still, how will they ever get married? You're right. Right. It's not useful and it's also not accurate information because your kid will, of course, grow, mature, change, even if that trajectory is a lot different for your kid than other kids. There is a trajectory. And so, yeah, it's not useful for us to worry about, like, how will they make friends when they're 25? Like, that's not useful. And then the other thing is she said, also, we adapt and grow as our kids grow. We understand them better. We are also more resilient and adaptable. We also change. And so when we're projecting into the future, we're imagining our kid stuck in the now And our feelings about it also stuck in the now. Both
0: of those things are going to change. Right. Right. Gosh, is that the example of like how things have changed for in many places with, you know, Dan Levy, right? Yeah. Yeah. From Schitt's Creek. His Mm -hmm. mom famously tweeted the night of the show's finale, like, I think of all the times I sat worrying about this twirling boy who like did not fit into the world. And like here he is changing the world, you know, he's twirling. Yeah. And that, you know, she had a gay kid in the 19. I don't know how old he is, early 1990s, 80s, whatever, and felt like this kid isn't going to survive the world. And like, God, the world that he met and challenged and that then met him, it's like you wouldn't have changed it for the world. Again, a little facile, I feel like, for people who are dealing with more difficult and intractable problems. Right. I want to come back and center the kids in this a little bit, Amy. Okay. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is
1: More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. Whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout while traveling or at the end of a long night, sports research hydrate electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins and coconut water powder.
0: Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate.
1: fresh for 50% off your hydrate electrolytes order
0: and now what we say about our quirky kids versus what we mean about our quirky kids from the what fresh hell podcast we say he's a handful this one we mean he's a biter i wouldn't get too close if you're attached to your fingers We say... He
1: loves to do a deep dive into things. We mean... If you want to know 8,500 facts about the solar system delivered rapid fire directly into your face for one hour straight, my kid is your
0: guy. We say... He's so spirited. We mean... I get a lot of calls from the principal's office. I mean a lot. Like we're on a first name basis. We say... She's such an individual.
1: We mean. Yes, she will be dressed as Darth Vader throughout soccer practice. That's the only way it's going to happen. So that's the way it's going to be, people. We say. I wouldn't change a thing. We mean. I wouldn't change a thing. This has been what we say about our quirky kids versus what we mean about our quirky kids. From the What
0: Fresh Hell podcast. (laughs) Amy, I want to come back with this uh, quote from greatschools.org, how to support your unique quirky child. This question really resonated with me. Is it okay for your daughter to sit alone at the playground having an invisible tea party or for your son to wear his pajama bottoms around his head in the house? That depends on a few things. Number one, is your child happy? Number two, does your child like who he is that's the heart of it but i think there's a part two of is your child happy and there's a little bit of like is your child happy for the right reasons if your child is unhappy because all of the kids in seventh grade have a very specific kind of jeans. I'm speaking from personal experience as a child. Amy, I'm going to bring <laughs> up some deep stuff. Child X, everybody in the school is wearing Jordache jeans, and your mom won't let you have them. I'm unhappy because I want to fit in with mean kids who will never like me. And so, I think, is your child happy? Can be a little bit of a more complicated question. Sure.
1: But if your child is happy, I'm thinking of an example from my own life. One of my kids, we were at a wedding, you know, and the band started playing while everybody was eating their salad. And one of my kids, like, took right to the dance floor. Nobody else was dancing yet. And my kid was dancing around out there by themselves, which you, you know, if it's like adorable, cute dancing, then everybody gets out their phones and isn't this cute and ignoring it. It was kind of like it was dancing that was like taking up a lot of room. You know, maybe not. It was unsightly dancing. Let's just call it what it was. Yeah, it was a little was <laughs> a little weird, this dancing. It was a little weird. And I definitely recognized in myself sitting at the table looking like I had this urge. I actually wrote about this in my book, this moment where like I had this urge to go out there and sort of render it adorable, pick the kid up and swing them around, twirl, make it cute. Right. Right. Make it acceptable instead of, you know, let the kid dance. And I didn't because I recognized it in myself. Now, look, if the kid was like bumping into people, it would be different. This kid was bothering nobody. This kid was happy. This kid liked who this kid was. And it was a moment that was only a problem because I wished it were cuter because I wished it fit the mold. Do you see what I'm saying? And yep. So that's what I thought of. And I read this quote that sometimes the problem is that we have a problem with it. And if the kid is happy playing by herself at the playground, then maybe it's okay. You can chase this and look at it and explore it. And there might not be a disorder or a debilitating imbalance as greatschools.org puts it. There might not be an
0: answer. It might just be a quirk. There might not be an answer, but I think that i'm going to go with a strong theory here i believe that one of the fundamentals about being happy is living closest to the truth mm. that that to me is real happiness and so for my kids who don't fit the mold in different ways i often have the conversation well i'm dumb you're not dumb but you have a lot more trouble than other kids concentrating And that makes you feel dumb. It's not the same as being dumb. But you do have an issue that keeps you from being a stellar student in the way that you want to be. And so let's strategize around that and fix it. My kids are 8, 10, and 12. This is a lot different when you've got really, really little kids. I am a weirdo. So you have something going on with you that makes you quite different than other kids. And that makes you feel weird, you know? And in some ways, you probably are weird to other kids, but there's a lot of great things about that. There's a lot of hard things about that. I think that the more that you can discuss ages and stages, you're not doing this with a three year old, but the more that you can discuss weirdness. I mean, I have one kid whose whole identity, is being weird. That's what this kid is into. Oh, I'm so different and I love being different and I do my hair in different ways and I wear different things and it's a huge part of her identity. But we've even had conversations around that, which is like, yes, that is a weirdness that the other kids in your school are into. Mm -hmm. And so that's different than being weird in a way that you don't have control over. That's different in being weird in a way that is not appealing to other kids. Mm hmm. And I think that bringing some truth into this whole thing is very, very helpful. Here's what I think is the
1: main takeaway that I got from working on all of this, that, as you say, whether it's like my kid likes to wear clothes that I think are a little weird or, you know, my kid has a language delay that's preventing them from communicating clearly, these differences in our kids require a response from us, but they don't necessarily uh, require a fix ever, or certainly not from us. Like we don't have to fix them. We have to respond to them because that they exist is fine. The difficulties are going to be when the expectations of the world create a gap.
0: Absolutely. And I do think that one of the great things about being alive in 2021 is that and. Yes, I understand that this is limited in a million ways, but the world is wider now. Mm -hmm. It is. It's a wider world. And like, I love there's a great line at the end of Hamilton where he says, I should have realized Burr. Spoiler alert, guys, if you don't know what happens in Hamilton, (laughs) Burr shoots him to death. Me, I'm the fool who shot him. And he says, I should have known. I should have realized the world was wide enough for both Hamilton and me. And like... That's something I talk a lot about with my kids. Like the world is wide enough for you. I don't care what's going on with you. Like the world is wide enough for you. And we're going to help you find your place in that wideness, you know? You may never be in the dead center of it. And that might not be interesting. And let me tell you that the older you get, the less interesting that gets. Like my left of centeredness, believe me, did not serve me in middle school, did not serve me in high school. I had no friends and people thought I was a loser. And then I went to college and the world ticked just enough wider that suddenly I was in the B video and I was dancing around and everybody thought I was awesome. Yeah. And now as I'm older and older, like the world has ticked 10 times wider and I'm much closer to the center than I was as a young child. And I think that helping your kids find that perspective and yes, being an advocate for wideness. Right. Wherever you can. That that is where like you can't shape the world to meet your kid. You can. But I like that Debbie Rebirth perspective of like, I'm going to fight every day to make the world wide enough for my kid. Mm -hmm. That means something to me. I was just thinking how lucky your kid is or my
1: kid or anybody you can talk to. But like, yes, you learn differently. And this is the way your mind works, that we are raising our kids in an age where there's names for these things. And there's not just sort of shame and keep it down and everybody act regular, guys, right? That there, yeah. that there is room for this, but that room comes from, you know, turning around and facing at what it is you're running from, right? And having names for it. That's right. There are techniques, there are approaches, there are not fixes, but there are responses that are possible when you give it a name.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's difficult for people. I think, you know, in our world right now, everybody's a little bit like, well, what am I? I I'm supposed to say this. I'm supposed to know this. I'm That's but like most people are just asking you to widen your horizon a little bit to fit someone they love in it, you know? And I mean, I think that that's a mm-hmm. pretty easy. It's not an easy ask, but I think it's a worthwhile ask. And I think that helping our kids who don't fit the mold. Find that perspective and find that, you know, when you deal in IEPs and such things, it's always like, this is a strength and this is an area of... It's not even an area of improvement, but like a developing. (laughs) Yeah, this is a developing skill. That's right. This is a developing skill. You know, it's not a no, it's a not yet. It's a not yet. And I think that, you know, at 50, maybe you can say it's a never, you know, and that's fine. Like there's a couple (laughs) things, you know, my bikini modeling career is a never, unfortunately, at this point, my marathoning is a not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever. <laughs> that's a checked and checked for me. But I think that that's a good perspective for kids too It's like, hey, this is an area of strength and this is something you're still working on mm-hmm. and that. Even if those things, I think with kids who don't fit the mold, those social things can be complicated and difficult, right? Like, yeah. well, people think I'm weird. Well, that's an area you're still developing. It's like learning to talk about things other people are interested in. or And I'm talking about kids who are neurodivergent and kids who are just, you know, a little quirky. <laughs> Some kids it comes hard for a little quirky or like just a little sensitive. And it's fine. There's like, I was a kid. I was always a crier. And it's funny because now as an adult, I'm like dead inside. I don't cry that much. But <laughs> I don't experience you as a teary person. No, it's funny. Like I have cauterized whatever that part of me was and killed it, I guess. But as a kid, that was always my Achilles heel. It's like... I was a crier way too late. You know, I was an eighth grade crier, you know, oh, and it's, it's, it's not a good look. It's definitely not a good look. But things happen for kids at all different ages. And I think that all we can really do for the quirky kids is just keep asking ourselves these questions. Are they happy? Right. Do they like who they are? Yeah. Don't get in the way of that. If they
1: are happy and they like who they are, then don't try to render or fix or make it, you know, more
0: palatable to the world. That's not your job. And if they're unhappy, give them some context around that, Hmm. about whether or not what's making them unhappy is a constant or a variable about whether or not what's making them happy is someone else's problem. You know, like I wasn't happy because I didn't have the right kind of genes. My mom definitely helped me have the perspective of like, That's a useless metric for life. And you might spend a year being unhappy, but these people are shallow monsters. (laughs) That was a good perspective. I want to do a whole episode on useless metrics for life. I'm going to write that down. Oh, useless metrics. There
1: are a few. There
0: are a billion of them. But for now, I think we solved it. (laughs) Solved it. Oh, I love a quirky kid, guys. Send me your quirky kids. I just, they're the best. And let me tell you, life is a long, long game. yeah, And the people way ahead in the race in sixth grade are not the quirky kids. And those quirky kids tend to find their way. They really, really do. And guys, before we go, we just want to say we have a new podcast
1: coming out very soon. It's called Toddler Purgatory. We are so excited about it. So
0: excited. Blair Brooks, Molly Lloyd, our amazing new hosts talking about all things little kids. Yeah, Please, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And as soon as you hear an episode, rate them, review them. These two moms are so funny and so great. Yeah. And we want this podcast to really take off with your help. So thank you so much for supporting Toddler Purgatory. With that, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.